Welcome to the Myers-Briggs Company podcast, where we bring together thought leaders, psychologists, and personality experts from around the world to talk about work life, home life, and how to get the best from life. According to the World Health Organization, burnout's defined as a syndrome conceptualized as resulting from chronic workplace stress that has not been successfully managed. It's characterized by three dimensions. First, feelings of energy depletion or exhaustion. Second, increased mental distance from one's jobs or feelings of negativity or cynicism related to one's jobs. And third, reduced professional efficacy. Burnout refers specifically to the phenomena in occupational contexts and shouldn't be applied to describe experiences in another's life. So while you may have heard the term burnout being used loosely to describe something like parenting or caretaker burnout, what we're going to talk about today is specifically workplace definition burnout. And when it comes to the workplace, some occupations have higher rates of burnout than others. And the pandemic has added new stress to people's lives, as well as a lot of changes. And unfortunately, burnout still holds a stigma when people believe there could be negative consequences to admitting that they're actually burned out. To learn more about burnout, today we're talking with our guest, Dr. Christina Maslock, whose latest book talks about just that. She's a professor of psychology emerita and a core researcher at the Healthy Workplaces Center at the University of California, Berkeley. Dr. Maslock pioneered research on the definition, predictors, and measurement of job burnout. She's received her bachelor's from Harvard and her PhD from Stanford. Her research measure, the Maslock Burnout Inventory, or MBI, was used in much of the 40 years of research that the World Health Organization, also known as WHO, considered for their 2019 decision to include burnout as an occupational phenomenon. She's written numerous articles and books, including the new book, The Burnout Challenge, Managing People's Relationships with Their Jobs. So welcome, Dr. Maslock. Well, thank you for having me. I'm pleased to be here and and talking about a topic that I think I hope, hope I know a lot about. (laughs) I, I'm I'm excited. I'm pretty sure you know a lot more about it than most people, have, probably most of our listeners too. Um, so earlier I shared the definition that the World Health Organization has for burnout. Um, but what do we what what else is there to that or that definition, and what do we get wrong about burnout? Uh, that's an interesting question because, in fact, I think for most people, what they get wrong is they just focus on the individual person and assume, oh, poor baby, you're burned out. You know, what's wrong with you? Uh, How come you can't handle it? Uh, What do we do to take care of you, make you better, get more resilient, all that kind of thing. Uh, And what we're doing is in a sense, neglecting the environment, the situation in which people are working. Um, So we're blaming the person, but we're not looking at the job. And the World Health Organization makes it pretty clear it's a response, an individual response to chronic job stressors that have not been successfully managed. So we should be spending as much time, if not more, looking at what are the chronic job stressors? How could we manage them more successfully? How could the individual manage them, but also how could the manager, the unit, the entire workplace, the professional organization, what could be done to create better environments for people to do their job and to thrive 
rather than get beaten down into burnout. So uh, the message really of our book, um, The Burnout Challenge, is just that in some sense saying, let's look at the job, but not forget the person. What we really want to focus on is the match between the person and the job. It's both. It's not either or. Uh, so to get it right, we need to add more to it and look at uh, what are the nature of the chronic job stressors and how does this give us insights into how we can rethink, re, you know, design um, the work so that people and the workplace are, are more in uh, harmony with each other. So speaking of the workplace and people, I know there's a lot of things that have changed over the years, especially technology, globalization, lots of things have changed in the workplace. Have you found um, in your experience or your research that is workplace burnout becoming more or less common or has it kind of stayed the same over the years? Um, it's hard to tell exactly because uh, you really need good, broad you know, thousands and thousands of people, you know, it's like epidemiologists do to, to really show that. I think uh, what we are seeing now is, I mean, burnout, first of all, let me start again on that. Uh, first of all, burnout has been around actually as a term for a long time. I mean, there's been 40 years of research, but it was being used before that. Uh, you were seeing it, uh, people were talking about burnout shops when, when Silicon Valley was just beginning. Uh, there's a book, you know, the burnt out case that, you know, came back in the sixties. Burnout is a term that's common in engineering. And so you're seeing this, you know, when people talk about stress, you're talking about burnout, um, also comes, you know, from sort of the engineering languages. It really predates, uh, the research. So, uh, it captures something in terms of the vision and the imagery of that. And, uh, uh, but it's, it's, as you mentioned earlier, there's a stigma that has been attached to it by people thinking this is a bad thing. I don't want people to know I'm feeling this way uh, and, and that sort of thing. So there's this interesting situation where we don't always know how much may be happening because people don't want to talk about it. Or they'll say things like, oh, no, no, I'm fine. Uh, not realizing that there are a lot of people saying, oh, no, I'm fine. And actually, oh, my God, I'm the only one who's not fine because everybody says they're fine and I'm not really feeling, you know, kind of. So there's this pluralistic ignorance that we we have a difficulty with. Um, but at some level, it is part of what is a normal response to stressors. Uh, you know, thank God human beings do have a response to stressors so that if you are in danger or there's some threat, you know, or something like that, you know to run, you know to fight back, you know to change course, you, um, and that makes changes in your body and how you're functioning and so forth. One of the things that's important uh, about job burnout that we haven't acknowledged as much recently is that these are, like the World Health Organization said, chronic job stressors. That means high frequency. They're there all the time. They're not like occasional crises, a big emergency. Oh my gosh, you know, this is the time of year that it's really the most workload. Um, this is everyday pebbles in your shoe, dragging you down uh, kind of, of thing. And so um, 
that I think we've begun to understand that it's it's not a disease, you know, it's not an illness. People say, oh, burnout should be like depression. We should have a number for it and it should be diagnosed as a psychiatric disease. Psychiatrists say it's a normal stress response. But mm-hmm. again, it's the situation, these chronic job stressors that are just coming at you all the time and you can't help it or you can't manage it well or other people can't. And we need to focus on how do we make that better match so that the stress response happens appropriately when there's a big stress thing to to deal with, but you have a chance to recover and get better and start over again and, you know, things, that kind of thing. So the optimistic note is it could be better managed. You know, those those chronic job stressors, but you don't just have to put up and shut up and take it. There's a sense in which, no, we could come up with a better idea. And so what has happened over the years, like when you have more technology or other kind, it begins to change the workplace. And sometimes that makes it a better fit and a better match between people in the job. Other times there are negative consequences. Oh my gosh, I have to stay up and take, you know, calls and orders, you know, from people across the world, you know, in the middle of the night. And that's not what I'm liking doing or whatever, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, so it's kind of a long answer to your question on that, that, um, I think people are more aware of it now. They certainly talk about it more, but there is still a stigma. It's not like, oh my gosh, when people say, oh, I'm ah, so burned out by this job. They're often willing to say it's because I'm working so hard and so long and I'm so exhausted. That's the stress response. But the other parts of burnout are those other two things, getting that cynical, hostile, take this job and shove it attitude about the workplace and beginning to feel what's wrong with me. Why can't I handle it? Why can't I take it? So it's a negative, uh, my effectiveness professionally, I'm beginning to Mm -hmm. question. Um, And so if you leave out those two parts, you're not really getting at the full burnout syndrome. You're just talking about the stress response. And as I said, that is not, a new thing that's a very old, you know, kind of basic part of human condition. Um, But to have it be not only are you exhausted, but you're beginning to hate the job and you're really beginning to despair about yourself uh, and how good I am. That's, that's the full burnout experience. Hmm. So what, um, when it comes to personality, whether it's personality type like Myers-Briggs or, or other measures. I know you have your own measure for burnout specifically, but do you know if personality type has anything to do with burnout or are, more, are some types more likely to be burned out than others? Um, yeah, it's an interesting question. And the research that's been done on it usually comes up with an answer of, well, you know, um, people who are more at risk for having problems and not being able to cope well and different personality, not the MB, you know, TI so much as um, others like the big five or something like that. Uh, So someone who is more prone to get upset, depressed, can't handle things, whatever, are they more at risk for burnout? Uh, Yeah, maybe. But in general, there aren't these big sweeping results like, it is this type, you know, or these particular, you know, kind of things that make mm-hmm. you more at risk for burnout. So it depends again on that match between the job and the person. Mm-hmm. So for example, you know, if, if people are introverts, 
Are they more at risk for burnout? Are extroverts more at risk for burnout? Mm -hmm. Well, the answer tends to be, it depends. I mean, if an introvert is working in a kind of environment at a kind of job that has the sort of, you know, more quiet time, more, you know, time to think and focus, you know, and, and do a lot kind of thing, they may feel fine. They're not going to burn out, put them in a different job situation. Oh God. Yes. They're going to have problems and ditto for extroverts. I mean, so it's, if it's, if you have to say it depends, then in a sense, you're saying there's other things besides just a particular individual difference or a particular set of preferences. Um, but a set of preferences which allows the the notion of how you might handle different things can it give us insight into what makes you better able to cope effectively or manage the stressors effectively could give us some help but it's not like a one size you know kind of this one is not so good this one is really yeah. great um, what I would prefer is to expand it beyond um, the individual difference of personality and incorporate more looking at what are the other things about a person's life and uh, life choices, you know, et cetera, that may be important. So for example, um, it's hard to make a statement like, and people often ask, are women or men more likely to be burned out? Well, again, it depends. And if you, and often people saying, oh, more women here in this particular sample. Well, if you track it back, often it's, women are more likely to be taking care of young children than men. So they are balancing different kind of things in their job and whether their job gives them the flexibility for childcare, for, you know, picking up, I mean, jobs don't often end when school does, you know, on these kinds of things. So there could be things about, and not just your age and your, you know, your gender, but, you know, what kind of life do you have outside of work? How does that, you know, fit or connect with what you're doing? Uh, if you're having a huge commute, that's a different thing than if you can just, you know, bike to your job or you can do it at home or so what we find often is that there are, there can be a lot of important individual factors that may play out differently for some people than others. But the basic point I think is the match between people and the job and the better fit you have, not that it has to be perfect, but the better match, you know, the sense of, um, it helps you thrive. It helps you do good things, whatever you're going to be in better shape, regardless of all of these, these other, other kinds of things. So that flexibility, that ability to change, to adapt, the job begins to change. How do you change? I mean, you know, all of this sort of thing. And, and, uh, what we talk about in the book is that we've identified at least six major areas where matches make a huge difference. And what we're looking at uh, on the person, you know, uh, job match side is things that have to do with uh, basic psychological social needs that all of us have to live a good, healthy life. And it can be true for your home life, you know, your uh, community life, but it's true for work life too. And so it has to do with, um, is there good matches in workload? in how much control you have over the job you're doing, the kind of reward and recognition you get for doing something well, uh, what that workplace community is like in terms of support or, you know, throwing people under the bus and, you know, <laughs> incivility, or um, what about fairness? I mean, how are people being treated? Uh, they're being treated fairly. 
Uh, and what are the values? I mean, am I doing something that I'm proud of and feel good about? Uh, or, you know, so all of those areas potentially can have really bad mismatches, uh, you know, that create what we sort of think of as the burnout shop, you know? Mm. Um, and again, those mismatches can be better managed so that they get to be a better match. And it just sort of helps people feel good about the job, feel good about what they're doing, are in, you know, have the uh, motivation and the incentive to keep at it and, and do their very best and bring their best selves, you know, to, to the work. Um, so that's, that's basically what we are trying to do is get people to understand what it means about the situation, that environment, the chronic job stressors, but how do you manage it to make it a better, a better match for the people who are in that particular place? So you mentioned um, previously that it's not just on the individual when it comes to burnout. It's it's really the individual. It's also the manager. It's also the organization and the workload. Right. Um, right. And we know that because of the pandemic, a lot of people's work has changed. A lot of how people are managed has changed. A lot of where they come into work has changed. Um, so I'm just curious, does does burnout look different for in-office workers versus remote workers or hybrid workers or really how what what things have you seen given mm-hmm. the pandemic and kind of the shift to more remote and hybrid working? Right. Well, first, let me say that um, the general uh, it didn't it didn't affect people across the board in the same way. Uh, there were some real major, major differences. So for some people, um, for example, healthcare got hit badly and, and people were just saying, I've never been so burned out in my life and I've been in medicine for, you know, 25 years, da, 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 da. And so these are part of the first responders who I think, you know, beyond medicine as well, who, um, had to be there, had to deal with all kinds of other issues in healthcare with the pandemic, people with the patients with the COVID problem, the worry about bringing it home to themselves, um, uh, all of those things. But, you know, police, other first responders, they had these, these same kind of issues. Then we had other people who got essentially thrown into the deep end of the pool, meaning that without warning and without prior preparation or training or whatever, or design, uh, they suddenly could not work the way they had worked. And I think school teachers are probably the prime example of that kind of thing. Suddenly, you couldn't teach the way you knew how to teach. You couldn't be in the classroom. You had to do it remotely. And that has a whole set of problems, you know, in terms of whether or not students can get to you and, and being supervised by parents or whether they have access and whether they respond to the, you know, I mean, all of these kind of problems. So we're seeing... I think huge problems in terms of what they went through. Um, for other, you know, and other people, uh, more office workers kind of things in general, but not always, had, uh, oh my gosh, we're going to have to do this differently. You can't come in. It turns out the health play, the, the, sorry, it turns out that the office arrangement, especially for those big open offices where everybody has desks all piled up next to each other very bad, you know, when you Mm -hmm. have a virus like uh, COVID. So there was a big shift among a lot of more white collar, uh, you know, office uh, tech, you know, all all kinds of uh, things uh, to to working remotely, 
which is a different kind of remote than the school teacher. So that's why I wanted to call that out as something different. But working remotely, um, sometimes it worked well for people. Sometimes it was awful. Uh, it depended a lot on what your remote home or wherever you were doing this uh, was set up, how, how good it was. Um, you had to provide your own equipment, your own, you know, chair, your own, all, you know, whatever you know, those kind of things are. Um, it was clearly difficult for people who had young kids um, or who uh, I think there was some important, you know, income, you know, uh, issues and uh, being able to do this. Uh, but uh, what happened, I think, is that overall, but certainly for people working remotely, the big thing that happened because of the pandemic is that people realized work could be done in a different way. Mm -hmm. Before that, I think the mantra was always the job is what it is. You just have to put up with it. You have to be here. You have to do it. You know, da, 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 da. It's up to you if there's a mismatch, so to speak, to make up the gap. Uh, so it's your problem. You have to figure out what to do. You have to be more resilient. You have to, you know, et cetera, et cetera. When the pandemic changed the world of work, uh, suddenly we realized, you know what? It could be done differently. It doesn't have to be the way it is. And if it can be done differently, oh my gosh, we could, you know, why do I have to commute all the way to do the work that I can do at home just as well? You know, what, you know, what, what is the value of being in this other place? Uh, and so what I think has happened for a lot of people in certain kinds of occupations is they are saying, I'm looking for a better option. I don't have to add the commute, which has costs, which has, you know, I don't get paid for that. And uh, it takes up my time and I can't do things I want to do in that time. It's just a waste, you know, kind of thing. Uh, so that's probably the most obvious example. But uh, if we could do it differently, can't we come up with a better way of figuring out what it is we're trying to achieve and what do we need, uh, you know, on this? Now, it's not to say it's not important for people to come to a place, but it has to be specified why, when, what do we do where we need pe people in, in, you know, in their physical presence as well. Um, and, uh, or could we rethink, you know, the number of days or the kinds of, you know, activities, the kinds of uh, things that we need rather than just working from home. Uh, in some cases, people found that working from home, they could actually do better things remotely in terms of reaching people, talking to people, interviewing people that they needed to interview for their job and that, all that kind of thing. So um, so the remote work has both pluses and minuses, which is probably a truism for anything in life. There's a, you know, <laughs> the upside and the downside. Um, but we should learn from this. I mean, at this point, we should be thinking out of the box a little bit more about what would be better ways for doing X job. Y job, Z job, you know, and the answer is not always going to be the same. Um, you know, what are you going to do for teachers is going to be different than what you do for tech workers, which is going to be different for meatpacking plants, which is going to be different for, you know, I mean, you know, so it, it, it's, um, so that's why for us thinking about what is the basis for trying to get at better matches on these core things that motivate us, that make us tick, that make us work well, be, you know, innovative and committed to our work. Um, 
we know it could be better. Uh, we know it could be better managed. How do we begin to think about it um, and think about it in ways other than or in addition to, well, maybe people just need to take off work and leave early on Fridays and that'll take care of it. The answer is no. If they come back to the same old yeah, unmanaged same stressors, it's, yeah, it's going to keep going. So, um, uh, you know, this is really an opportunity to say, I mean, you know, this is not the first time we've had to adapt the workplace to new challenges. Like you said, we didn't have technology before and now we do. And we didn't have other things before and now we do, or we don't have these other problems. We always have to adapt. It's kind of like, how do we continually kind of say, okay, given where we are now, what would be the best way to get these things done? How do we support people in that? Um, to you know, So that's a long prelude to your question, but so we don't really have good data on if you're working remotely or not, the burnout rates are higher or lower. Again, it's mm-hmm. the big depend answer. Well, it depends. Some people are thriving working at home. It's kind of like, how cool is this? You know, kind of thing. Uh, you know, because and other people are saying, oh my God, this is not working, you know, uh, and they have these other reasons. So yeah. um, how do we think of, you know, where are the pain points? I mean, is it an issue of workload? It might be for some, but for a lot of others, that's not the main one, even though people think of it first. It'll be working with these other people has just been socially toxic, being in the same room because of the incivility and the, you know, and being nasty to each other and not helping and supporting each other and, you know, da 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 da. And people are feeling great not to have to deal with that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Or, you know, deal with it differently. So, um, Again, there's no one best practice that if you simply do that, that'll be the end of, of that kind of stress. It's, it's more complex. It has, as I said, at least these six basic areas. But the good news about the six areas is there are six areas where you could have real problems that could be a risk, you know, can, that could increase the risk for having burnout rather than, you know, make it less likely you're highly engaged with the job. But you pivot on each of those six areas and find the ones that are most relevant and say, we could move in a more positive direction. And it's not just one thing like workload. Mm -hmm. Oh, my gosh. It could be about the recognition reward. Oh, my gosh. It could be about the fairness. This is where discrimination, this is where glass ceilings live when people feel they're not being given, you know, the opportunity that ought to come their way. Um, And uh, so it, it offers six paths (laughs) to begin, you know, to sort of say, how could we begin to improve things here so that people will really love being here and and feel good about it and work hard and and do their best. And and we're going to take great care of them and support what they're doing, create the environment that really, you know, makes that possible. What is your approach to conflict? Are you competitive, accommodating, avoiding? People approach conflict differently. To resolve conflict at work, you need to know about conflict styles. The TKI shows you five approaches to conflict and how to move conflict to a more productive place. See the myersbriggs.com forward slash TKI for a fast conflict solution. And it's interesting with that when you're talking about the remote work hybrid and some people really enjoying it 
and some people really missing being in the office. Um, oh, I know yeah. the Myers-Briggs company recently put out research and the overarching message from it is for organizations, we found that the worst thing people can do, the worst thing organizations can do is put out a blanket back to office work policy. Yes. Um, but we're, yep. we're finding is that there's a lot of managers who that's what they prefer. And so yeah. they want to see everyone in the office. And like you said, people who are more comfortable working at home, they're finding it's less stressful. Um, people who don't want to go back and they're a lot of times organizations are just leaving it up to the manager's discretion where everything we found in research is that that that's one of the worst things that you could do, you could, <laughs> but really just ask your employees. Exactly. You know, I mean, I think you've raised a number of good points there. Um, one is that any blanket thing usually isn't a good idea because it ignores the fact that not everybody does the same job and people are in different situations. I mean, you know, you, you have people out on the road doing sales, you have other people, you know, doing tech, you have other people who are, you know, I mean, you know, whatever, you know, this kind of thing. So again, one size does not fit all. Uh, but the other thing is, and I think people are, are beginning to ask more about that. What is the purpose of being in the office or, you know, being together? It's not about whether I feel like it or you feel like it. And, and you know, because we might end up saying, okay, I'll come in one day and, you know, okay, you've got to come in at least one day. Well, I might come in on Tuesday. You'd come in on Wednesday. I'd go in. Nobody's going to be there. You're, you know, and, and then we'd be, what's the point? So the preference, it's kind of like, when do we need to actually benefit from the physical presence and the back and forth that is better than or can't be done by Zoom or, you know, some other remote, you know, kind of thing uh, and make it so it, it's a plan. So, okay, Thursdays is the day where we're going to have, you know, we're going to have some team meetings and break up into different groups and give feedback and we need something more. I mean, you know, I'm sort of making this up, but um, here's the reason to be there. Uh, and, uh, and then make a plan so that everybody shows up or everybody's ready to go do this kind of work at that time. Or maybe you have it, not everybody, you have it like different teams or different units or different, you know, partnerships or, you know, whatever it is. Uh, but begin to be creative about this and say, what are, what is the benefit of the fact that we are working and talking and seeing and interacting with other people that we are in our company and how can we promote that? And, you know, and when, and, you know, whatever. Um, mm -hmm. And, and when is it, you know, it's just show up, <laughs> you know, just cause so I can see you, you know, kind of thing. I mean, uh, and managers, I think, can be a critical pivot point here. Some people are saying, well, managers are worried about losing their job because if they don't manage people who are there, I mean, they want to see them and, you know, talk to them and all that kind of thing. But they, more than a lot of other people, can help manage those chronic stressors. They're the, mm. you know, they can talk to people. They can talk to the upper management. They can talk to the, you know, here's the problem that is driving people crazy about this particular process that we've designed for dealing with customers, you know? Um, so they could play a, a really important pivotal role in helping to make the matches better by identifying what are the 
pain points, where are the problem areas, and then really working with people to say, okay, let's come up with what, five, 10 different possibilities. Let's figure out pros and cons. Let's, you know, how, what, what would we do so that we're sort of all on the same page and understand how we get this done in a better way. That's not driving us crazy. Um, so, uh, but there's still, I think, the sense of managing, which is looking at the individual and how are they coping? Are they taking care of themselves? They don't have what it takes and, you know, all of that kind of thing. So it's still this very fixed um, worldview or mind view about people doing work. And we still focus on the individual in many, many ways, rather than realizing, yes, there's an individual in a context, Mm -hmm. in a situation. And the situations could be different, you know, even with people working in the same job. So, you know, how do you, how do you, how do you get the best return on the investment that you're making in the people you hire? And what are the kinds of things that could be flexible and give people a little bit more choice, you know, like coming in, working early and then being able to leave when school and so they can actually pick up their child or, um, uh, you know, wanting some time off, you know, wanting to do a different set of days or a different kind of thing so that they have a chance to visit, you know, their elderly parents, you know, or something like, I mean, you know, there's just, um, and given that technology can help sometimes enable us to do that, we can be visiting our parents and still, check in for a Zoom meeting or get the thing done and sent off, you know, depending on what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, teaching a child, working with a sick patient, that's a different ball game. And you have to think of those really differently in terms of what the, um, the possibilities are. Well, you, you partially answered one of my next questions but, that I was okay, going to okay. ask, which, which is um, what can managers do if they think their employees are burned out? And, and I'm realizing in this, as you're saying it, that a lot of, if part of it's the employee and part of it's the manager and part of it's the organization that a lot of it comes down to who has control over what. Yeah. Cause I was going to say one of the six areas is control. Um, oh, okay. yeah. And you know, I, I can't tell you how often people are saying, you know, you know, I'm, I'm an engineer. I've been trained to deal with this stuff and it is, I can't tell you how demoralizing it is to be told that now we're going to do X instead of Y without any input from any of us about, is that really the best way to handle this problem? Or, you know, have you thought about these other consequences that, you know, and it's kind of like, you know, we have no say, uh, we have no input, nobody. And yet we're the ones who have to do this work. And presumably it's because we're good at doing this kind of work. Um, uh, so, having, it doesn't mean you have total control. I mean, people tend to go to an extreme. Oh, you mean people want to, you know, do, make all the decisions for their work. No, that's not the, it's finding that middle ground, that better match. Where do you in fact, you know, profit from people having some discretion, some choice, some uh, ability to uh, course correct and do things a little differently, maybe because it's a different situation. Maybe that's how they can innovate, you know, as, as a, and where do we have to say that, you know, the decision and the control lies in, you know, the CEO who makes this is the kind of thing that that decision or the financial officer. But, you know, what are other things in terms of the work to be done and what we want to see happen um, where people have that that kind of notion that I'm coming in because I know how to do this. 
I, I'm able to practice that or, you know, whatever. Um, um, I mean, a restaurant, because I'm a good cook, I can do work really well with, you know, uh, clients in a hotel or something like that. But at least then trust that the people that you've hired are doing the job well, let them know and give them some, you know, a, appropriate level of, of control over how they do their job. Uh, so that when people talk about high workload, um, that usually means the demands are really high and the resources, time, equipment, people is low and you just can't get it all done in time. What people often complain about more is uncontrollable workload. Mm. that they don't have enough say, choice, control over what it is that they're doing. And and that double thing, it's not just the workload, it's really almost the uncontrollable um, aspect of it. You don't know when it's coming, what's going to hit you, you don't have the resources you need, et cetera. Um, so, yeah, um, that's what I was saying. Some of those six areas um, people don't always think about. They think of workload for sure. But it turns out in many cases, that's not the big problem. And um, and if you can find, oh, gosh, there's issues around fairness, there's issues about how people work together in a community, you know, how can we improve that? You know, um, and sometimes that fixes some of the other problems anyway, because then we're yeah. better organized to handle the workload or we know that we can talk and work out a better way to approach it and, um, you know, have some choice over that. Yeah, speaking of uh, solving, kind of solving problems in different ways, Wait, you yeah. had a great example in one talk about um, a river. Oh, right. Yes. <laughs> That's a, yeah, because again, that speaks to that general theme of we just tend to always focus on, you know, the person, the people who might be experiencing burnout. Uh, and we're not focusing on, uh, you know, what are those chronic job stressor kind of things. So, uh, years ago, I was in Sweden and I was uh, talking with a number of people there about uh, what they were seeing as these major upticks in um, what they were thinking of as, as depression, but realizing it was burnout among people in healthcare and in the tech industry. Hmm. And so we talked, we looked at the results, we were talking about the data and I was, you know, asking about uh, the jobs that these people were coming from. Uh, in fact, people even approached me on the street because they recognized me from a newspaper article, you know, saying this person is here talking to people about burnout and yeah. saying, we're some of those people. And this is why we don't want to go back to that job, you know, kind of thing. So, hmm. Any rate. So this um, Swedish colleague said this reminds me of uh, a folk story we have in which, you know, people are out hiking in the wilderness along a rushing river, which comes to a, into a huge waterfall. Uh, and they're enjoying the scenery and the river. And then they notice that there are little children, little babies who are floating down the river and about to go over the falls. And they're all like, oh my gosh, somebody's going to drown. They're going to die. We've got to jump in. We've got to help them. And you see more of them coming and they're saying, oh my gosh, there's more children. There's more little babies floating. And people are calling other people to go in and grab these um, children and pull them out. And finally, one of the people starts running upstream and people go, don't go, we got to help us, help us, you know. And he said, I'm going to go and find the bad guy who's tossing them in. You know? <laughs> so it's kind of like, who are the bad guys that have, you know, or made it possible for all these children to be tossed in, slide in, you know, accidentally fall. Uh, 
And so, again, it was an interesting, you know, kind of folk story he told because it really was saying, find out what's causing the problem. Don't always just say, oh, my gosh, let's help people who've had the outcome. Mm -hmm. So there's a cause, there's an effect. And it's not that you don't deal with both. But if you're only looking at the effect of burnout and saying, what, okay, how do we give them therapy? How do we give them resilience? How do we give them time off from work? How do we fire them and say, never mind, you can't do this job. Um, upstream, what is happening to cause that problem? And they were seeing in Sweden these huge spikes, as I said. Um, so, yeah, thanks for reminding me about that. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a vivid, you know, vision <laughs> yeah. of how that is and, and why you sometimes have to break set and really come at a problem in a different way. And if you think about it, you know, a much more minor but perhaps uh, well-known example of that is if you're flying in an airplane and they say, you know, check out the exit door and it may be the one, it may be behind you, the nearest exit door. Because everybody's looking forward, you know, how do I go this way? And they're saying it might be right back of you. And so it's saying break set, think of what else is going on and if you were in an emergency you might have a, a much safer way, you know, to get off the plane. Yeah. Uh, so I'm hoping in some sense that the book that we're doing is giving people another way to break set and say, how do we look for, you know, the, peop- the people who are making the problem or the organization rules that make the problem or whatever it is that is making the problem and not simply how do we help the people who have the effects of that problem? Yeah. Um, not to not coping, but if you don't prevent, then the coping is just going to keep going up and up. The job will change. They'll say, yeah, sorry, job is what it is. It's worse now. Okay. Yeah. Got to work a little harder. Sorry. That's it. Um, And we could do it differently. The silver lining of the pandemic is we can do the job differently. And (laughs) how do we do it differently? Uh, There may be lots of possibilities. So um, when I think to what you're saying about not putting all the responsibility on the people that there's, you know, finding the source of the problem, but the people's, the people stress that they're exhibiting, you know, stress response behaviors is what we try and immediately fix first. Um, and that that's not the way to do it. Um, but when we're talking about people in general, we know turnover, like there's, there's been this big turnover tsunami. I'm doing air quotes, turnover yeah, tsunami, yeah. <laughs> um, or the great resignation from all of that. And that the, the cost to replace employees, I mm. think the last data I looked at, it was anywhere between 150% to up to 300% if you're talking about yeah. executive level. Yeah. Um, yeah. That doing something like making sure, you know, going up river to use your example and seeing mm. where the source of the problem is coming that, it sounds like it would take more work and it might take some resources. But if you look at the alternative of replacing employees. Yeah. No, I think uh, somebody was making that argument. um, They've made it before, you know, but somebody was making that argument, for example, with regard to physicians, you know, for example, you know, and nurses and stuff like that and and what it would cost to replace Mm -hmm. people. And what they're often asking for is, can we fix things and change the job in ways that we can work smarter instead of working harder. 
And that's a sort of good way to, to do it. I mean, working smarter means we get rid of the stuff that takes up time, energy is really not useful, is outdated, is, you know, there could be a better design for how you make this connection with these other, you know, uh, experts or, you know, whatever it happens to be. And um, I, I, re I, I recently got uh, an email from someone uh, working in a, in a hospital who was saying that we, you know, we're more issues around burnout, more issues around the job being difficult and, and so forth. And yet all we get is um, self-care, take care of yourself. There's a huge industry out there, all kinds of ways to take it, better care of yourself. And there's some good things there, but she's, it, it's clear she was saying, that's not it. That's not all there is. There's clearly, you know, we want to hear a different message and can you come talk to us, you know, or something like that. Now I can say, I have a book, it's coming, you know, uh, and hopefully what I know, I, I've distilled there, you know, along with my co-author, Michael Leiter, and uh, will be um, valuable for people to kind of rethink what they could do um, so that, in fact, that goal of working smarter, working in a better way, working in a way where we thrive uh, rather than just harder and we're not getting anywhere and we're feeling terrible and it's kind of like, this is not a life, you know, this is not why I went into medicine. This is not why, you know, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I mean the collateral damage, if I can use that word, you know, that, that comes because of, oh my gosh, people just have to work harder or, you know, in ways that are not as helpful. Um, it, it can cost a lot. Yeah. Well, I know I'm looking forward to reading your book. So I, I <laughs> hope you. all of our listeners will be able to find it, get their hands on it, because it sounds like it has, if if our conversation was any indication, it sounds like it has some fantastic information for individuals, for people managers, for people lead organizations. Um, but it also sounds like it's, it's very data-driven. I know you, even just in this interview, um, are not going to just give answers that you think work, but you're really focused on data. So I'm, um, I'm yeah. excited to read about that too, yeah. or read that in your book. Yeah, no, I, I, th I think it's, it's important, you know, to be able to feel confident in, uh, what we've seen, what we've heard, what we've tracked and followed, uh, and be able then to share it more widely and say, this seems to be good strategies. Here's the problems with these other kind of things. Here's a better way to understand it. And actually, you could probably come up with other things that we haven't thought about. I mean, what we're what we've been able to get from the the research is kind of the general principles. The gen, you know, like um, for example, the the value of having really good relationships with the other people you work with in the same room, remotely. You know, your paths cross only occasionally, but you work together in, in some way. Um, and, you know, what that will look like in, uh, in a hospital setting, uh, what that will look like in um, an office setting, what that will look like in, I talked to somebody who was a screenwriter who always works from home. They all do. They never get together and see each other until they're on strike. Uh, so she was saying, okay, so how do we, we have more of a sense of community and stuff because it's actually valuable. They came up with a whole different solution of how to do that, given their situation and mm -hmm. given the terms of, you know, essentially how they do their work. Um, so it's it's not like, 
okay, here's, here's something that worked over here. You have to go out and have dinner with your colleagues at a restaurant and the company pays for the bill and you have a chance just to talk and enjoy each other's company and then you'll feel better about knowing each other. And some people will say, oh, great, we could do that. And others will say, I'm going home at that time with my family. This is not a good solution. But you think of a different alternative. What would be another way to begin to build more, you know, trusting, positive, you know, we each have each other's back relationships because I know you better now. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, there's a principle there, but there's many ways (laughs) that would work. Uh, And, uh, and be, you know, bring one's wisdom, but also creativity about if we could make this a little bit better, you know, what are the pebbles in our shoe that the chronic job stressors, what are the, some of them are little, but they are chronic and all the time. And, you know, just being able to identify some of those and a better way of managing those is like saying, you know what, if we could fix that, we could fix this other thing over here that also <laughs> gets people, you know, complaining all the time and, and avoiding, et cetera. So, uh, so we're hoping then that the, the book will be able to pass on a lot of the information and the knowledge and the ideas in a way that people can adapt and create and find ways to make it, you know, what would that look like here for us or our team or, you know, wouldn't work for that clinic, but you know, that's, et cetera. So, so we do have examples um, that, you know, we've, we've picked up along the, the way just to sort of illustrate some of those ideas. Well, I'm looking forward to reading it. So thank you. <laughs> thank you so much, Professor Maslock, for your time um, and for being on this podcast. We really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Myers-Briggs Company podcast. If you like what you heard today, please share it with others, post on social media, or leave a rating or review. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.